forgot. Well, I mean, you know, it's like you're worshiping God, you're singing all those great songs. It's really hard to remember, you know. So the bear gets to hear the sermon, right? The bear gets to hear the sermon. The bear wanted to hear the sermon. I understand. Uh, have you guys ever heard... Uh, Chuck, would you shut the door for me? Pull it to... I don't think it'll close all the way, but it'll get close. Uh, have any of you guys ever heard of an intervention? Anybody know what an intervention is? It's something that family and friends... Uh, sometimes or sometimes do when they have a loved one that's engaging in self-destructive behavior and uh, family uh, members and friends will, will come together and confront their loved ones usually some kind of addiction alcohol drugs or gambling and, and because they love this person they come together as a group and their goal obviously their goal obviously is to, to generate a catalyst for, for, for changing that self-destructive Behavior. I looked up uh, some synonyms for intervention, and this is what I found. Interference, involvement, and intrusion. And that's why these loved ones and, and these friends, that's why they do what they do. They love this person. And they can't stand idly by and watch them destroy their life any longer. They just can't sit and watch it happen. So they get involved, they, they intervene, they interfere, and they involve themselves, and they intrude in the life of this one that they love. In one sense, that's what God's doing with mankind. In one sense, that's what God is doing. God is staging a cosmic intervention, friends, because you and I are hooked and addicted on sin. Okay? You and I are addicted to self-destructive self behavior. And in love, God has staged... An intervention, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. Anyone know, anyone here know John 3.16? I bet everybody, almost everybody in here probably knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. God's intervention. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One theologian defines sin as unvarnished insanity. And I think that's pretty close. Another one called it another one called it a suicidal pursuit. I think that's close as well. And I've shared this with you before, but I had a friend in college who worked with racing dogs. They were greyhounds. Anybody know anything about greyhounds? Do you know why they run around the track? Does anybody know? Okay, they're chasing this little mechanical rabbit. Now they think it's a real rabbit. Right? That's why they're running with all they have around the track. They think that rabbit is real. They think that he's what they want. Right? And so they train him, they train him to chase this mechanical rabbit. Now, the mechanical rabbit's name is Rusty. Okay? And here's the deal. My friend was telling me, if the dog ever catches Rusty, the jig is up. He's never going to run again. He knows it's nothing. He knows, he knows it's not worth it. Okay? And I'm going to draw an analogy here. Same thing with sin. Same thing with sin. The adversary's got us chasing after something that will not satisfy. 
And as we've gone through the Gospel of John, we, see, we keep seeing this pattern. J- Jesus is out to, to ruin every life. And I'm going to try to help you understand what I mean by that. Because my friend told me, he said, if a dog ever catches Rusty, he's ruined. He'll never run around in a circle for no good reason anymore. Right? And in the Gospel of John, we've seen over and over, Jesus, is, Jesus means to ruin your worldly life. He means to ruin your worldly pursuit of sin. That's what He means to do. He's out to stage a radical intervention in our lives. He's, gonna, he want, he's out to save us from our self-destructive addiction. He's out to get us off whatever it is we love more than Him. Because, friends, at the end of the day, what does the Bible tell us? We're not to love anything over and above what? God. You're to have no other gods before Him. And so God lovingly comes and He makes this intervention. I love what C.S. Spurgeon, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, this great preacher in the 19th century over in London. Uh, Sophie's probably heard of him and Kay's probably heard of him. Uh, he basically said very simply, he said, Christians are spoiled for the world. We don't run around in a circle chasing after mechanical rabbits anymore. We're off the lie. We don't chase the lie anymore. We've seen God, and He's what we want. Right? We've seen God, and He's what we want. God has done, if that's true in your life, God has been successful in His intervention in your life. And you know that this world holds no allure compared to the beauty of Jesus Christ. This world holds no allure compared to Him. So in that sense... We're like that greyhound who's caught rusty. In that sense, we are ruined for the world. We get it as Christians. We've been set free. We don't play by the, the world's rules anymore. We're going to God with all that we have and all that we are. We talked about this in men's Bible study uh, this last week. Jesus doesn't come in our lives to give us nice little platitudes and you know, tips on self-improvement and how to have a nice, successful life. That's not why Jesus comes. Jesus comes as a divine earthquake to turn you upside down. Jesus Christ is a divine earthquake. He's a 10.0 on the Richter scale, and He means to get you off whatever lie it is you're chasing and get you onto Him. That's what He means to do in your life. That's what this book is about. God is staging an intervention. He loves you and He's coming after you. And He's going to get you off the lie. Okay? He's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to get you to stop running around in a circle for no good reason. Jesus Christ intends to get into our life in a life-altering way. He's going to shake us to the core. Just read through the Gospel of John. You see it over and over and over Again, God is intervening. We're going to see it in the text tonight. He's intervening. We're going to, what's going to be highlighted tonight in our text is the work of the Holy Spirit as God is intervening in the world to, to get us off of our, our bent toward self-destruction and sin. And you've got to know this. And if you don't know this, you need to know this. You know God is not obliged to do this, right? You know God owes you nothing, Right? God owes no man anything. You know this, right? Really, all God, uh, by rights, all God should have done is simply judged us and sent us on our way. Because we've, we've sinned against Him. 
But that's not what this awesome God that we just got through singing about. That's not what this awesome God that, that he, he doesn't do that. We've talked about this before, that his offer is really uncalled for. It's unwarranted. It's unjustified that he would come and offer himself to save us. It's really uncalled for. But he does it. This awesome, loving God who simply should just judge us, should simply just dispense justice, the justice that each one of us in this room deserve, but that's not what God does. You know the story. God does this awesome thing. He comes after us. Not in a passive way, but in a very aggressive way, in a very expensive way, as His Son is nailed to the cross. And well, let me set the context, and let me get into the text. Uh, for those who are new with us here, we're, 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 it's the night before the cross. Jesus will be dead in less than 24 hours. He's in the middle of his farewell sermon to his disciples, which lasts for about three chapters here. And uh, Judas is on his way to betray Jesus right now as Jesus speaks. And Jesus is, is with his remaining 11 faithful disciples. And he has been warning them and he has been encouraging them for the last two or three uh, chapters. And I, wanna, I just want to draw this, uh, this parallel for you. Jesus told them that in the world they would have trouble. But you remember what he said? He said, I will give you my peace. You remember? He said, in the world you will have sorrow, but I will give you what? My joy. He says, in the world you will have an adversary, but don't worry, you're the friends of God. Remember? We looked at that. He says, in the world you will be hated, but I have loved you. Remember Jesus saying that? He says, in the world you will be persecuted, but I will be with you. Then he said, in the world you will be killed for my sake, but I give you eternal. This beautiful, beautiful parallel. For every warning, Jesus has given them a, pro a promise. And tonight, Jesus is going to teach about, uh, specifically about the Holy Spirit. In this farewell sermon, He's mentioned the Holy Spirit about three or four times already. He's told the disciples that he's going to get, the Father will give them a helper. He's told the disciples that the Holy Spirit will be with them forever, that He will indwell them, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth and will teach them in all things. Friends, this is how committed God is to the intervention. Okay? His Son has come. His Son will die a horrible death. He'll go into the grave. He'll come out. He'll ascend into heaven. And then God will send the third member of the Trinity to inhabit us. This is how committed God is to the, to the intervention. Makes you wonder. It kind of makes you think, how committed am I? <laughs> how committed am I to what God's doing? God's done everything He could possibly do, right? He means to rock us. He means to turn our world upside down. He means to shake us to the core. He means to get us off the lies of the world. So, is it working in your life? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you experienced that divine earthquake? Are you off the lies of the world and are you on to that beautiful, awesome God? The scripture talks about, verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to the advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him. Now, we touched on this a little bit last week, but I didn't really do it justice, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. Uh, we talked about the fact that the disciples are reading personal disaster on everything that's happening. And, 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 and to some degree, that's understandable. They're reading personal disaster. This is bad for me. Jesus is going to the cross. This is going to affect me badly. Isn't that how we all are? 
Isn't it always about us, right? The universe is, is a revolving around me, and that's how we live. And so they're reading personal disaster on this, but what does Jesus say in verse 7? He's saying, brothers, this is to your advantage. This is to your advantage. And we made that application that as Christians, God doesn't intend for us to obsess over hard circumstance. He, he intends for us to be victorious in them. He intends for us to believe Romans 8.28. And I bet I've said Romans 8.28 in two and a half years in this church. I bet I've said it a hundred times from the pulpit. Who knows it by heart? God causes all things to work together for good to those who... Very good. Friends, God means for you to live it. He means for you to believe it. And when it gets hard, He means for you to hang on to Romans 8.28. That's the application for us in that. And Jesus said, it's going, to be, it's going to be to your advantage that I go. This is quite an understatement. Wait a minute. If He goes, what happens? They're redeemed. Their sins are forgiven. They're saved from judgment. They have eternal life with God. Yeah. It's to their advantage. I get it. I get it. it is to, it's their, to their infinite and everlasting advantage. Friends, this is Christianity 101. God means for you to know this. It doesn't matter how hard it is in your life. He means for you to know He's working for good. He means for you to know He's working to your advantage. And on your very worst day, and these 11 guys are just about to have their very worst day that they've ever had. They're just about to have it. And on their very worst day, God is working to their advantage. Do you see it in the text? You need to believe that about your own life because He promises that He is, even when you can't see it. Oswald Chambers says this thing. He says, most Christians act like pagans in a crisis. He says, we're like pagans in a crisis. He says, he says we, we're too fast to get into despair and despondency and hopelessness. He says, just like the world does. God doesn't mean for His sons and daughters to live like that. God doesn't mean for us to live like that. He means for us to be like Job. Now, you remember Job. Job lost everything, right? He absolutely lost everything. Un this man was in, 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 un I'll get it out in, a minute. in unspeakable pain. Okay? This man was in unspeakable pain. His world just ended. Yes, he grieved. Yes, he hurt. Yes, he mourned. But he did one more thing. Does anybody remember what else he did? He worshipped. He worshipped. God means for you to do that. Do you worship when it's hard? God means for you to be like that. Now, Jesus is going to zero in on the, the work of the Holy Spirit here, okay? And he's going he's gonna to talk to them about the advantage of having the Holy Spirit. And we know in about 45 days from this night, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's going to come down and He's going to fill these guys and they're going to be preaching maniacs. And men are going to say, shut up, don't preach Christ anymore. And they're going to say, hey, you know, Peter says, hey, should I believe you? Should I obey you or obey God? Because we, we saw that analogy a couple of weeks ago, the Holy Spirit, before the, the Holy Spirit had come in Peter's life, and, and the little servant girl said, aren't you one of them? And Peter, said, and Peter cursed, and he swore, and he says, no, I never, I never knew him, right? After the Holy Spirit, Peter went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he looked them in the eye, and he says, I will not obey man. I will obey God. Friends, that's what God means for us to be. That's, how we're, that's what he means for us to be like. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, because I'm going to send you power. And if you're a Christian tonight, friends, you've got power. I, 
It's between you and God if you're using it. But it's a stewardship, friends. He's given you power. He means for you to be bold on the earth. Okay? He means for you to proclaim Jesus Christ in your life, uh, in your deeds, and in your words. And Peter says, I must obey God rather than men. And I want to say to you, that's a man who's experienced a divine earthquake. And I just want to ask you, can you relate to that? Is that, is that real in your life? That, that, that what God is doing and what God says and what God purposes in your life is far more important than, than anything else? Are you like Peter in that respect? God's intervention had its de desired effect in Peter's life. Has it had that desired effect in your life? Are you bold for the Lord? Are you using the power that He's given you? Friends, He means for us to. He means, as we've been saying all year long, I can't get this phrase out of my head, He means for you to obey Him with glad, reckless joy. Glad, reckless joy. Verses 8 through 11. And He, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold Me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Now, I just want to make a quick comment about the word, the Greek word uh, translated convict here. It's a law term. It means, it means to expose the truth, to bring it to light, so that it is clearly seen. There is no spin on the truth of God. Now, in many pulpits it gets spin, but, but from here there is no spin on the Word of God. It's pristine. It's perfect. It's the Word of God. Okay? And, and uh, what the Word of God says about any subject is the mind of God on it. I love what the message says, uh, how the message paraphrases this verse. The message paraphrases it like this. When He comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, He'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what is the er erroneous view of sin that the world has? What is the, re the erroneous view of sin that the world has? Well, you know, if you read uh, psychology and, and that kind of stuff, you see that many psychologists and psychiatrists will tell you that, that well, sin doesn't even really exist. Sin's not the problem. The problem is you believe in sin. And you need to quit worrying about the sin so you can get freed up and have self-esteem. Right? You just need to get freed up. You just need to get rid of all that guilt. And go out there and live your life. That's what the, that's what the psychologists and psychiatrists tell us. And, and in general, mankind has repackaged and redefined and refurbished and rationalized the whole concept of sin to where it doesn't even, it, it doesn't even resemble what God says. And in fact, in many churches these days, in an attempt to dumb down the message and to make it more marketable, uh, many times, even from the pulpit, you can't recognize what God says about sin. But the Holy Spirit knows about sin. And this is what Jesus is talking about. The Holy Spirit has come to teach you about your sin. Now, I know this is not a popular sermon uh, much anymore, but the Holy Spirit has come to teach us about our sin. Listen to this great quote from A.W. Pink. He was a 20th century theologian. I think he was an Englishman. Uh, listen to what he says. He says, The vast majority of professing Christians see God very much like an indulgent grandfatherly figure who, while not approving of their indiscretions, leniently winks at sin. Is this not this concept that many people have of God? That He's like a, a lenient grandfather who winks at our sin. It doesn't really bother Him too much. 
Yes, he's not happy with our indiscretions, but he will wink at it. It's not a big deal. I mean, isn't that, isn't that kind of what you hear? Isn't that what you hear anymore? Many places it is. But friends, that's not what God says. God doesn't, God doesn't wink at sin. To him, it's not, you know, it's been redefined in, in many circles as just a mistake or a lapse or, or um, uh, a lack of, uh, of judgment, uh, indiscretion. You know what God calls sin? God calls sin. This is what sin is to God. It's conscious rebellion. Now, you won't find that in a verse, but if you read, if you read the Bible, if you read through the Scriptures, you will come to the conclusion. And, and the one place you can go is Romans, uh, Romans chapters 1 through 3 and just read Romans chapter. To God, sin is nothing less than conscious rebellion against Him. That's what it is to God. That's what it is to God. And men say, no, that's not, what I'm, that's not what my indiscretions are. God says, yes, that's what they are. Your sin is conscious rebellion against me and conscious rebellion against my law. God says, that's exactly what it is. David wrote it in Psalm 51.4. David got it. When he was caught in murder and adultery and he was laying on his face, he got it. Against thee only have I sinned, O Lord. You remember the text? Against thee only have I sinned. Do you understand? It's personal with you and God. Your sin is personal with you and God. That's why God comes and He comes to intervene. He comes to get us off the sin. He loves us and He comes to, to shake us up. He comes to be that divine earthquake in our life. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's come to convict us of our sin that we might get off of it, that we might stop chasing the lie. I love how the message paraphrases that, that, that Psalm 51.4. The message paraphrases it like this. David says, God, you're the one I have violated. You ever thought about your sin like that? God, you're the one I have violated. Friends, if you understand that, the Holy Spirit has taught you that and you're blessed among men. You're blessed among men and women because you know something that the world doesn't know. You know you need God. You know you need a Savior. You know you're guilty of sin before, before a holy God and you need a Savior. The Holy Spirit's convic convinced you of that. That's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. Verse 9, Jesus expounds on this. He says, the reason sin is against God and God only is because the root of all sin is a, is, is a rejection of God. Okay? The root of all sin is a rejection of God. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 9. It's the sin of not believing. Jesus says, because they have not believed in me. Have you ever heard this in your heart? Have you ever heard these words? You're a sinner. Your sin is an abomination before God. You need a Savior. You need to come to Christ. You ever heard that? Have you ever heard that in your mind and in your heart? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. He's intervening in your life and He's saying, you need to come. You need to come to your Savior. This is the day of grace. We sung it in, in the days of Elijah. This is the day of salvation. Come. The Holy Spirit says, come. It's kind of what, what, what uh, the Holy Spirit had John write in John 3.18. He who believes in Jesus Christ is not judged. 
He who does not believe has been judged already. And as we, I just have to make this point. I just have to make this point. Jesus talks about believing, and every time you see that word in the Bible, I almost have to qualify what, what we've talked a lot about this, what the Bible means by the word uh, believing. It's not just mental assent to facts, right? We know this. It's not just mental assent to facts about Jesus. We know it's just not some, it's not some religious thing that we do. When the Bible talks about believing, it's talking again about that whole divine earthquake thing. It's talking about the born again thing. That's what believing is, Okay. When the Bible talks about believing, it's talking about placing your faith in Christ, trusting Him, loving Him, obeying Him, honoring Him, serving Him, proclaiming Him, etc., 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 blah, 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 as Dave says all the time. Go on and on and on and on, right? It means all those things. That's what biblical belief is. It's not sitting in the pew saying, yeah, okay, He was God. That's not biblical belief. That's, not what, that's what, not what Jesus is talking about, okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about that whole 2 Corinthians 5, 17 thing. If a man is in Christ, what? He's all new. He's all new. The divine earthquake has taken place. Everything's new. The old stuff is gone. I'm not chasing that rabbit anymore. You can't get me to chase that rabbit anymore. I've seen God. And man, nothing compares to Him. Nothing compares to the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're, we're off Satan's lie. We're off his lie. Look what he says in verse 10. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer behold me. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness because by Jesus returning to the Father. Now, now what does he mean? He's basically saying that my deity, my purity, and my holiness will be on display when I burst out of the grave and ascend into heaven and sit at the right hand of God. My righteousness will be on display. And my righteousness is all there is. There is no other kind of righteousness. There's one definition of righteousness to God. It's Jesus Christ. Now, the world tries to tell us that there are no moral absolutes, that right is a relative thing, that everything's situational, that our ethics are situational, that nothing's fixed. Friends, that's a lie from the devil, right? Truth is truth. Truth can never be anything other than truth. And the standard that God sets is Jesus Christ. Absolutely, there are moral absolutes. Absolutely. And the Holy Spirit is, is seeking to convince you that there are moral absolutes, and those moral absolutes are the life of Jesus Christ. They are in Him, and they are His life. And He's our standard. You know, how many people look at, like, their friend and go, well, you know, I'm doing better than this guy. I know God is glad I'm on the team, right? Because I'm a lot better than him. Friends, that's not going to make it happen with God. That's, that's not going to get it done with God. Friends, you've you, you got to be as righteous as Christ to be acceptable to God. And guess what happens to those who come to Jesus? This is an awesome thing. You know, a lot of Christians that haven't studied their, their Bibles much don't even know this. His righteousness is imputed to us. God sees the righteousness of His Son on us. It's an awesome deal. It's an awesome deal. That's why I'm a preacher, man. I can't get over this stuff. It's awesome. I mean, I, mean, I would pay you to let me do this, but it's really good that you pay me because, you know, i got bills and stuff. But, but 
I got to do another quote from Pink. Because God is holy, acceptance with Him on the ground of, I love this, creature doings, you can't do it. Pink says, because God is holy, acceptance with Him on the ground of creature doings is utterly impossible. A fallen creature could sooner create a world than produce a righteousness that would meet with the approval of Jehovah God. You understand that? If you understand that, the Holy Spirit's taught you that. The Holy Spirit's taught you that. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's to your advantage that I go. The Holy Spirit's going to bring you into all truth, right? He's going to bring you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is doing an intervention in our life. And when He does, and when we, when we see sin the way the Holy Spirit intends for us to see sin, we're like Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6. You remember what, in his vision when he was standing before the Lord, you remember what, when he saw this awesome, majestic, exalted, holy God with His train filling all the heavens and earth? You remember what Isaiah said? He said, woe is me. I am ruined. I, why did he say that? Because he was a man of unclean lips, right? He was a man of sin. Friends, if you understand, you cannot enter into the presence of a holy God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you understand that, the Holy Spirit has taught you that, and you need to, you need to praise Him. You need to praise God that He's taught you that. And I'm not going to preach much longer, but I didn't look at my watch, so I don't know how long I've preached, so... But I'll, I won't be much longer, so just hang in with me, okay? The Holy Spirit is intruding into our lives, okay? And He's going to convince you, He's going to convince you that you need a Savior. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's going to convince us that we need a Savior because God is holy. And I love what I heard one preacher say one time. You may have heard this before. What God's holiness demands, what? God's love has provided what God's holiness demands, which is perfect righteousness before Him, His love has provided in His Son. It's available for all who will come. <laughs> I don't know why everybody's not a Christian. I'll be honest with you. I mean, okay, verse 11. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Of course, Jesus is talking about, He's referring to Satan. Satan has been irrevocably judged. And all who love the world, all who are still in the world, all who are not in Christ will follow Him in that judgment. All who are not in Christ will be judged. We've talked about it many, many times in the, through the Gospel of John. There's no middle place to be. We are either in Christ or we are out of Christ. There's no middle place to be. There's not some nice religious middle ground somewhere. No, you are either in Christ... That whole born-again, divine earthquake thing, are you are out of Christ. That's it. There's no other place to be. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is convincing us of this. You know, most men these days think the judgment of God is like a myth or a fairy tale. I mean, they just, they just blow it off. They, they just think it's a joke, right? But God's Word is unambiguous and unapologetic. God says, I will judge my enemies. And all those who are outside of Christ are the enemies of God. And it would be a fearsome thing. It made me think of uh, Revelation 6, 16 and 17. Men will cry out to the mountains to fall upon them, to hide them from the presence of God and from the wrath of the Lamb. Friends, if you understand that verse, the Holy Spirit has taught you that. 
The Holy Spirit has taught you that judgment is a real thing. It made me think of Romans 2.4. Paul says, Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Friends, this is the day of grace. This is the day of forbearance. This is the day of God's patience. But it will come to an end. It is finite. And the Holy Spirit means to convince you of that. The judgment is real. The judgment will come. The Holy Spirit's job is, is to come and, and to tell us these things. And in the kindness and, and forbearance, He's leading us to repentance. Friends, have you come to Christ? Have you repented of your sin and come to Christ? Because here's the very next wor- verse. This is what Paul said in, in Romans 2.4. This is Romans 2.5. Listen to what Paul says. But if you're stubborn and unrepentant, in your heart, you'll be storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Again, this is a testimony of the Holy Spirit. It's that intervention in our life that we might believe we're guilty of sin, that we might believe our righteousness is no good, that we need the righteousness of a Savior, that we might believe that we're going to stand in the judgment if we don't come to Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's good for me to go because the Holy Spirit's going to come and give testimony to these things. He's going to give testimony to these things. The Holy Spirit lovingly comes to you and I and He says, You are a sinner. Have you heard Him? Have you believed Him? Friends, you need a Savior what the Holy Spirit's teaching us. He lovingly comes to us and, and He says, God is holy and you're not. You need, you need a mediator. You need someone to stand before God for you. You need a Savior. The Holy Spirit lovingly comes and He intervenes into our life and He says, he says friend, judgment is real and it's coming. You need a Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And the Holy Spirit comes and, and He lovingly stages this intervention and He gives us our unvarnished truth and He bids us to repent. Okay, so that's the message tonight. If you're not a Christian, come. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Sin is real. God's holiness is real. Judgment is real. You need a Savior, friends. You cannot save yourself. If you're here tonight and you've not come to Christ. And then for you guys that, that are Christians tonight... Uh, the Holy Spirit comes and He intervenes in our lives to remind us that we were created by Him and what? For Him. We were created by Him and for Him and to remind us that God intends us to live lives like that. And I'm just going to read a brief quote to you and then we'll be done. I read this at the Bible study uh, the other night, but this is, uh, this is what the Holy Spirit means for you to learn. And if you've gone through that divine earthquake, you get this. If you haven't gone through that divine earthquake, this is going to sound alien to you. Okay, listen to, what, listen to what he said. This is John Piper. He says, Human life is all about God. Are getting amens on that? Amen. Human life is all about God. Amen. No qualifications. Okay? It's all about God. Then he says this, That is the meaning of being a human being. It is our created nature to make much of God. It is our glory to worship the glory of God. When we fulfill this reason for being, we have substance. Isn't that true? Don't you feel the pleasure of God when you're walking with Christ? This is the weight and significance in our existence. Knowing, enjoying, and thus displaying the glory of God 
is a sharing in the glory of God. Not that we become God, but something of His, His greatness and His beauty is on us. And we realize this purpose for our being to image forth His excellence. Not to fulfill this purpose as a human being uh, is to be a mere shadow of our substance we were created to have. Not to display God's worth by enjoying Him above all things is to be a mere echo of the music we were created to make. This is the last sentence. This is a great tragedy, he says. That's why the Holy Spirit is intervening in your life. This is a great tragedy for you not to live for Him. Humans are not made to be mere shadows and echoes. We were made to have God-like substance and make God-like music and have God-like impact. That's what the Holy Spirit means to do through you in this world. Friends, this is awesome stuff. This is awesome stuff. Praise God. That, praise God for our Savior. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this Word. Oh God, what an awesome thing. Really, we deserve judgment, and yet You came and redeemed us at great cost to Yourself. Well, Lord, really, we were rebellious and, and, and guilty of, of really high crime and treason against You and against Your law, and yet... By your grace and love and mercy, you have made us sons and daughters of God. We have been adopted into the family. Oh God, we rejoice and our heart is full as we meditate on these awesome truths. We belong to you. We, we praise you, Father, that your Holy Spirit has come and intervened in our life. He's shaken us off the lives of the world. We don't run around in a circle for no good reason anymore. We are pursuing the Lord Jesus. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your sweet spirit. Thank you that you love us like this. Oh, Lord, that you would come at such cost and redeem us out of the suicidal pursuit of sin. We praise you. We love you. We give thanks to our Lord Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing chorus. I think I forgot to put it on the song sheet, so... Uh, um, You'll just have to try to catch up with us. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts, oh, let the ancient words impart. Ancient words ever true. Great week. We'll see you next week.